This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you as always by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app for all of your wagering needs as we get ready for this football season on this uh, first full day of the uh, college football season. We'll get to that in a couple of seconds. And remember, get extra value this football season with Bet Rivers Squares. Win up to $10,000 in bonus money. Bet $10 in same games parlay on any game with the squares icon to earn a square. So you get, it's very much like the Super Bowl box where if you match the score in a game where you have a square or multiple squares, uh, you can win $1,000 and up to $10,000 in bonus money without spending any more money. It's added value on wagers, and uh, it's a, an exciting wager in itself. So it gives you a chance to have those Super Bowl boxes, those 100 boxes, you know, with as you get used to, and you got to click the final score in the game that you're wagering on. So from that standpoint, it's a great added value to the football season and gives you another way to have some action during the season. Now, before we get to college football on this uh, first Saturday, it, really week one, last week they call week zero because it's just a handful of games. Um, the Yankees will now get a chance to spend the month uh, ooing and ah over Jason Dominguez. You know, this goes back years, folks. The Yankees uh, targeted him. He was the number one international prospect back in 2019, 2020. The Yankees spent almost all their international money that year on him. He spent. He got 5.1 million. Uh, their pool was only 5.4. So they went after the one player. Uh, he sat out a year because of the COVID stuff in the minor leagues, and he moved quickly quickly through the minor leagues. He's only 20 years old. I mean, he's been around the Yankees since he was 16. He's, uh, you know, a major prospect, and hopefully their center fielder of the future is what they hope for. Now, last night he starts in a very, very big way by hitting a home run in his first major league bat and hitting it off a not only a Cy Young Award winner, but a future Hall of Famer in Verlander. So, again, it's... This is what this September is now about. It's about the future. It's about prospects. It's about the Yankees getting younger and more athletic and getting these guys. Now you're going to see Volpe in the middle of the lineup for this last month as he has started to hit better. But he's going to hit better in September because he's going to see a lot of guys come up who aren't top pitchers. And remember, the old adage in baseball is don't ever, ever be swayed by what you see in April or September in baseball. We know that. But Volpe's been there all year. He's going to finish with 20 doubles. He's going to finish with, here he has 20 homers. He's going to finish with uh, 30 stolen bases. He's one of the few 2020 guys in the first year with 20 homers and 20 steals. 
throw in he's going to have 20 doubles. You know what? He's had a good year. He's played a good sound shortstop. Some people wondered if he was a real shortstop because they questioned his arm strength. You know what? I haven't seen any problems there. He's been heads up in the field all year. And they have to be very positive about his year. All right, there were a lot of lulls. A lot of times he didn't hit. His on-base percentage was very weak. His batting average very weak. That'll get better. He showed you power. He showed you speed. He showed you heads up playing the field. He played every day. He showed you durability. So you can put him in as absolutely a guy who they can depend on going forward. They hope that Jason Dominguez is that second guy that they can build around and then throw in the sprinkling of veterans led by Judge and go from there. They need a major overhaul. What I like is it's first and foremost not a right-handed hitter. It's a switch hitter. That's one positive. They need to get left-handed hitters into this franchise again. It's been ridiculous how right-handed they've been for years, and it has hurt them dramatically. I mean, they've been so stubborn about it. It's been ridiculous. So let's see if this is a step in the right direction. The Yankees have a habit of way over, over publicizing and glorifying their prospects. They do it all the time. And then they usually trade them off in a deal anyway. The bottom line is we'll see if they can get younger and athletic, which is what every team in the major leagues is trying to do and the Yankees need to do in a big way. They've started to call some guys from the team. I mean, what they did with Beta was just classless. But, hey, the Yankees have lost their way. They need to find it again. They need to get back to being the Yankees on the field and off the field. But maybe this is a step in the right direction. We'll see. All right? Don't go crazy yet. Don't get nuts. Don't go, you start comparing him to Mickey Mantle, okay? Uh, just let it unfold. But he did have his moment uh, to start his career. You know, the Mets have had very, very few things to smile about this year. I mean, you could count them on one, one hand. You might be able to count them on two fingers. But one of them has been Kodai Senga. There's no question about it. Uh, and as we finish up the season, I have to move him up the ladder. You know, I said he's probably a three going into next year, a dependable three. You know, he's a two. I think you can go into next year looking at him as the number two guy in your rotation. Let's be honest. He's pitched really well. Um, and his last 15 starts, his ERA is 2.85. He struck out well over a guy in inning. Almost in his last 80 innings, he struck out 106 guys. Um, he's gotten more comfortable on the road. He's 10-7. and seven. He could easily have 15-16 wins. With a team that had a bullpen and had a dependable offense, he could easily have 15-16 wins this year. The guy's got nasty stuff. When he learns how to pitch in the majors, which I think he's learning, and he gets more reliant, I think, on the fastball, which I think that will come. Uh, I think he's going to get even better. Last night against the Mariners team that's got big, big uh, ideas about this season, uh, seven innings, five hits, 12 strikeouts, doesn't get a decision. But he has pitched very, very well and is one of the really few bright spots in this Mets season. Very, you know, there have been so many uh, disappointments this year, so many guys who have played so far below what you expected from them this year, that Senga has been a pleasant, pleasant surprise and has finished the season very, very strongly here. And I would think Will, in his last 
whatever starts he has left. If he has four, if he has five, depending on how many innings they want him to throw this year. I think he's thrown 143 or 44 innings so far this year. Um, I don't know what they want to target. Maybe they want to stop it at 175. I don't know where they want to go this year with him. Um, you know, these are not overly necessary starts here in September, so they might have a target. I don't know. He's not a young man. He's 30 years old. He's been around for a long time. He's been a pro for a long time. So it's not like you have to watch his innings, but they might want to anyway, not want to push him down the stretch here. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Now on to college football. Everybody's in action today. The one thing about the college football season is, you know, it starts before Labor Day. It heats up. It, start, it, it goes from zero to 60 in a second. I mean, you already have all the big names in action today. You got games like LSU-Florida State this weekend. You get big games right off the bat. And it's the one sport where, other than the NFL, where you have to, you have to win all your games. I mean, you lose two games, you're out of the mix. So if you're a team that's a you know, top 15 team and you dream of being in the playoff, so you're, you know, any of these teams, that you think about the guys who are fixtures in the top 10, like Alabama and Georgia and Michigan and Ohio state, et cetera, et cetera. Or the teams that this year might be ranked a little higher than they've been in recent years, like Washington, which is number 10, which I'll get to in a minute. Or Notre Dame, um, you know, who, or Penn state, which is, I think going in preseason seven, they play West Virginia tonight. Um, or Florida state who's back. Um, LSU, who's at the top five or six team, the, you can't lose more than one game. I mean, that's it. You lose one, you know you can't fall again. You have no cushion. That's all there is to it. So it starts right there. Now, college coaches will always tell you, and I've heard this preached forever, the biggest leap that teams make is between games one and two. So game one, you always take with a little bit of a grain of salt, but game two, you usually find out who you are because the biggest leap is, you know, you get guys a game under their belt, you get a real solid game to build on and you cut out a lot of the mistakes that come in game one. And so that's usually the biggest change you'll see between uh, any two games all year is between games one and two. Um, Washington intrigues me. I like the way they finished the season last year. They went 11 and two. I love their performance in the Alamo Bowl. I love their quarterback's performance in the Alamo Bowl. He, he's, you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks around. Led, of course, by the USC quarterback. There's a lot of quarterbacks. Last week we talked about two of them, the Notre Dame quarterback, Sam Hartman, and, of course, uh, the Heisman Trophy overwhelming favorite in Caleb Williams. So um, there's a lot of guys. But one of the guys who doesn't get a lot of mention, who is a possible first-round draft pick if he plays as well as he played last year, and that's Michael Penix Jr. at, at Washington. Washington's got a really good team. Now, they're not a great defensive team, but they are a superb precision offensive team. They are as precise an offensive team as there is in the country and as good a possession passing team as there is in the country. I mean, if you watched Penix in the Alamo Bone, he was surgeon-like in his performance. 
I watched the entire game. He was brilliant. And he will cut defenses to ribbons. Underneath, getting rid of the ball, looks a lot like a Drew Brees type, you know, and just is surgical in his performance. He's also got a major, major receiver, Dunze, who is one of the top receivers in the country and had a huge year last year. So they are as good a passing team as any, anybody this side of USC. That, that, and they might be every bit as good as USC in terms of passing game this year. They opened today against Boise State at 3.30 on TV, on, on ABC. I think it's on here in New York, but I, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, they are a team that is a dark horse to, you know, to run the table and have that kind of season. And surprise everybody and jump into the playoff. They they could be that team. So watch Washington. You know, uh, Kalen DeBoer has done a very good job there. This is his second season. Like I said, they went eleven and two last year. They're not an overpowering defensive team. This is not Georgia defense, Alabama defense, LSU defense. They don't have those kind of defenders. They're going to give up some points, but they're going to score a ton of points. And like I said, they are as efficient an offense as there is anywhere in the country. So watch them as they jump off today. I know there's a lot of talk about LSU. You know, there's a lot of talk that, uh, that they're back in a big way. That Florida State's back in a big way. Let's see. They play each other tomorrow night. In prime time. The Monday night game is Duke-Clemson. Not a great game. It's okay. We'll see what Clemson is. I think Clemson's going to be better this year. You know, very to- a few times does Clemson take a step back. They did last year. I don't think they will again this year. Um, but Florida State's had a lot of lean years. And now they want to prove they're back. So let's see if they are against one of the real premier teams. I mean, let's be honest. You know that Georgia's one. Alabama comes in preseason four. Michigan and Ohio State are two and three. LSU is right there, right after that. Okay, you got you got big teams in Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. You got big teams in Georgia, Alabama, LSU. As you expect at the top of those leagues. I mean, that's, that's where the power is right now, as always, right there with those teams in those leagues. And when you look and you see the expansion that is coming and where these teams have found homes, you know, and what you're left with is really the, finally the come to fruition of what was talked about all the way back in the 80s, when I first started working in college football and doing, you know, what I did for CBS and doing the college football I did and the NFL I did and everything else, they always talked about the 60 super college football powers branching off and basically going their own way, getting rid of anyone who didn't have that kind of football program and dividing the spoils, and that's really what they've done, but it's just taken them 40 years to do it. 
That's really where they've gone. What's really helped some basketball schools is to have a league like the Big East, which is a basketball league and a place where teams that aren't driven by football can, can go and flourish. You know, and play big-time basketball and not worry about the football entity of it. The problem is where is like for a UConn because they want to protect their football program, but they really can't. So they finally decided we're going to take care of our basketball program. And look what they did. They put it back on the map and back now in the, in the top of the sport. It was a very smart move by them. You have to decide who you are and where you belong. And if your football program is not one of those that belongs with that group, you know, you're not going to be there. You're going to get counted out. There's no room at the inn. That's all there is to it. They have made their division here. And they are going to divide up the spoils their way. And what it means is the end of college sports as we know it, the end of the NCAA in any way, except if the NCAA didn't have the right to run the NCAA tournament, for basketball, they would be completely out of business. But that keeps them alive. They have no power in football. They obviously have no power anywhere now in terms of jurisdiction or anything else, but they still run a crown jewel that's worth a fortune in the NCAA tournament. And that is the only thing that keeps them alive. That's it. So we are in a very weird time because if you look at these teams and you start to analyze them, you got to realize you have to do your homework if you want to play college football early in the year because these teams change dramatically. Quarterbacks are jumping. Players are jumping all over the place. Look at Deion Sanders. He went to Colorado. He's got 50 new players. There's four players who actually played more than one or two downs for Colorado last year, playing on the team this year. Four. They have 50 new top players. They brought them in from everywhere. They got them from all over the globe. They brought their guys in from his old team. They brought his son in. They brought in... Hunter, they brought in the guys who could, they thought could play on this level. And then they went and they basically threw open the doors and said, hey, guys, come on in. But it happens everywhere. Look, you have Notre Dame go and get the Wake Forest quarterback. He's been a Wake Forest quarterback for years. Now he's going to play at Notre Dame as a grad, assist, as a, as a grad student. That's going to make a huge difference. You plop a quarterback into a team that desperately needs a quarterback. Now they get a fifth-year quarterback who's been good. Now the team changes dramatically. And that's what's going on. The, first of all, teams change every year in football anyway because of the fact that you get turnover. You get a graduation rate, boom, your one class is gone. You're going to change your team 25 30% anyway. Now you have on top of that incredible movement. Oh, I got that, this player. I got that player. Oh, I got the best running back here. I got the best quarterback here. I went and got the best wide receiver here. And that's what these teams are doing now. So you can't look at last year. If a team has 
I think the highest of the top teams, the top 15 teams in the country, the highest retention rate of personnel was 75% from one year to the next. And that was, I think, Washington. And they still lost some key defenders. The turnover now in football and basketball with the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, if you understand the whole what went on after the Ed O'Banion case and everything else after the judgment, name, image, and likeness. Players can be paid for their name, image, and likeness, which now changes everything. And there's no, there's no cap on what these guys can get paid. So if you got a guy coming out of high school and he's LeBron James, if he's that type of talent and you can get him to go to a school for one year before he goes to the NBA, you know, that guy might command eight or $10 million for the season to go play one year in college, try and win a national championship and then go right off to the pros. But he could get that. There's no regulation that says he can't get X number of dollars. He can get whatever his name, image, and likeness is going to produce. So it is the wild, wild west now. And everybody wants to see today exactly what Deion Sanders is going to do. You see, first of all, a lot of the, let's talk Turkey here for a second. A lot of the Big-time coaches don't like this whole Dion Prime, Coach Prime act. They, they don't like this. They, they, this, is not, this is not their way of coming up through the ranks, having a career, building a career, building a resume, becoming a head coach. Now you have the former great player, and Deion Sanders was a great player. There's no disputing that. Whether you liked him, didn't like him, he's a great player. So now you have the former superstar player who is now the quote-unquote superstar coach. And he comes into a program that has been bankrupt and brings an entire team in. Now, they start off today, high noon, Fox Television, taking those Buffaloes into TCU in the face, one of the best teams in the country. A team that lost the championship game to Georgia last year. A team that is extremely explosive offensively. And is going to challenge and probably look to put a 50 spot on them today because the other coaches in the country are dying for TCU to go out there today and beat him 60 to 10. Now, is that going to happen today? I don't know. I don't know what kind of talent he's got in Colorado. And that's what it's about. Yes, we'll wonder about the coaching staff a little bit. But put that aside. How much talent did he recruit into this school in one year? Can they play 500 football, which would be coach of the year honors for him if they went to 500 in their first year. They're not expected to win the game. They're a 20-point underdog. 
But nobody knows, first of all, TCU's had a lot of change. Secondly, nobody knows exactly what to expect out of Colorado today. But the world is watching at high noon to see exactly what happens in this game. And to see, first of all, whether these guys who were playing on a lower level and playing very, very well can now turn around and play well at TCU today. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be fascinating to watch what happens with Coach Prime. Hey, give Deion Sanders credit for this. He doesn't do anything in a small way. He does everything to the nth degree. And it's always about making a big splash. And it's always about big dollars and big production and big excitement. So, hey, he has created that. People are fascinated to see what they do right out of the box. But they got a very tough test right off the bat against TCU. As a matter of fact, if you look at their first month, they got a hellish schedule. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Colorado does. And I'm fascinated today as well to see what uh, Colorado does. A couple quick emails when we come back. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. You send your emails. We'll give them some quick answers here. Let me get through some because uh, I know you guys sent a bunch. Here we go. Phil, it looks like Senga could be the real deal for the Mets. Do you like him? Well, obviously, I just opened up and we went through Senga. I told you I think he can be the number two pitcher on the staff next year. He can be a number two. You can slot him in there. He's been very impressive. Joe, the Yanks seemingly have lost their class, uh, the way they handled the beta thing. Um, they handled it terribly. I'm really surprised. The Yankees usually have more class than that. But the Yankees have lost their way as an organization, internally, externally, in every way. And I hope they find it soon. John, do you think Cook will fit in with the Jets? Absolutely. I mean, Jets are loaded in the backfield when you, with the guys they have in the backfield, with what they have with Wilson leading the receiving core, and obviously an all-time great at quarterback. The question is, if the offensive line comes along and is okay, they are going to be a terrific offense. Don, a lot has been made this, about this Alonzo stuff. What would hold them back from signing him? The owner has endless pockets. Nothing. Listen, I'm sure they're worried about Alonzo's age. I'm sure they're... uh, I do think that there's been a little bit of a campaign against Alonzo. I don't think they're going to trade him. I think they're going to sign him. Uh, And I would think that eventually they will get him, make him happy because they do have the wherewithal, as you just alluded to, to make him happy. I don't know why they'd play hardball with him financially when they didn't play hardball with anybody else financially. Um, John, what's the next step for Daniel Jones? 
the next step for Daniel Jones is to get his team into the end zone with regularity through the passing game. Daniel Jones cut down his mistakes dramatically last year. That's Dable's coaching. He has got to get his team in the end zone. He has not produced anywhere near the right number of touchdowns. That number has to increase. TD passes have to increase dramatically. I think they will this year, especially with Wallace's presence. I think Wallace is going to be a 100-catch, 8 to 10 TD, 100-catch guy if he stays healthy. I think he's going to be his number one receiver, and I think he's going to have a very, very big year. Before I close, um, you know, uh, Saratoga closes this weekend. We've had a, uh, when I say we, I say my partner and myself, um, I partner on the horses with uh, a guy that I've known for many years, Lee Einsteinler, who is the uh, Casamiga tequila guy. Um, when I first met him, it was because of Grey Goose. That's how I met him. Uh, they, he was promoting Grey Goose. Uh, and he came to the Mike and the Mad Dog show, and he wanted to become a major sponsor of the program, which he did. Uh, we've been friendly ever since, and we've been partners in the horse business for years now. Um, we won two stakes with Casa this uh, meet, and we uh, got High Oak back on the track, and he finished third in the grade one forego. He'll run in the Vosburg. On September 30th, and after Casa's hardships, you know, I mean, after High Oaks' hardships where he had the terrible fall in the Fountain of Youth, which kept him out of the Derby and really almost ended his career, he has come back and give Bill Mott great credit for that uh, but, uh, and our patience, but really Mott's uh, work with the Bond and everybody else. He has come back in a big way, and he's going to run in the Vosburg. If he can hit the board in the Vosburg, he will probably have enough points to get to the Breeders' Cup. What an amazing story he will be with Katie Davis as the jockey because she was the one that got him restarted. She was the one that made a connection with him that got him over whatever fears he had after that horrific fall he took where he almost broke his neck. Um, It's an amazing story, which could have an amazing ending if he makes it all the way back to the Breeders' Cup, which he would if he can hit the board in a Vosburgh, we figure, by a number of points. So it's a, uh, we had a, in any way, uh, a very successful Saratoga meet. Um, he's a great guy to be a partner with. He's a very uh, generous partner. He's also, uh, you know, we fit well as partners. We handle the horses, I think, the right way. Uh, and we're patient when we need to be patient. I think we have done things the right way, and which is why we've been rewarded. Uh, but I want to bring him up today because it's his birthday, and I want to wish Leah a very, very... Uh, happy birthday. And uh, he's a great guy to partner with, and we've had a lot of success, and hopefully we can have some in the Breeders' Cup this year with Casa and maybe even High Oak. And we have a two-year-old we're very high on named Reynolds Channel, who Lee will look for next year uh, as a three-year-old, who I think can hit the Derby Trail. We're hopeful. We'll keep our fingers crossed that he could be that kind of horse. We expect that he will be. We'll see. We won't learn that until the wintertime as we get on the Derby Trail next January and see if we can 
get Reynolds Channel to the Derby, which is a dream that we both have, and hopefully we can, you know, get a horse into the starting gate. It's always been a dream to get a horse into the starting gate at the uh, Derby, and that's what every owner dreams, and that's our dream too, and hopefully we can do that. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. We'll have a big football week next week with a lot of things to discuss. Uh, so safe, have a safe and a very happy and healthy Labor Day weekend. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. 